So I think the startup method that is talked about is, is to hurry up. Just you're always going as fast as you can for growth. And I think what I would tell people who don't have product market fit is don't hurry up. Whatever, whether you're bootstrapping or raising money, whatever you're doing has enough of a runway to be able to take it slow. But that doesn't mean you're not working hard all the time. It's you've got a full bias for action where you're taking as much action every day to get there, but it's going to take a long time. And you need to know that, believe that you're not going to find it. It's not going to like just pop up day one. And if it, if it was, you already have it. Hello again, my friends, and welcome. This show explores technology, investing, entrepreneurship, and personal growth to help you create a brighter, more abundant future for yourself, your family, and hopefully the rest of us get something out of it too. This podcast is one of a few projects I work on to read my book, blog, newsletter, or invest alongside us in early stage tech companies. Please visit ejorgensen.com. Today's episode continues the incredible series, Track Zach, where we follow Zach Marshall's startup journey. He's a buddy I met at Capital Camp. He's a former Navy SEAL who founded Conterra 14 months ago to build a marketplace in the extremely fragmented and inefficient private security market. This is our fourth episode, and we started at the, right at the very beginning of his company and have sort of done a maybe a quarterly episode so far. He always shows up with straightforward stories about the challenges of building startups, what he's learned, how the journey is going. I've learned a ton from him. I love this honest look at the, <laughs> the challenges, the struggles, and the roller coaster of building a startup. So please enjoy this conversation arriving at your ears after this fun little interview from today's sponsor, Athena. If you have ever listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me mention Athena, uh, which is the service I use to find and work with a wonderful full-time assistant who helps with all parts of personal and professional life for me. Uh, and I thought it'd be exciting to bring him in for a few minutes and introduce you to the man who's been behind the scenes of this podcast since the very first episode and very much makes it happen because I do not know how to publish my own podcast. Only Ivan does. Ivan, welcome to the podcast that you helped create. Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. I, I wondered if you would you'd share sort of what attracted you to Athena in the first place. Well, uh, everyone's gone through the pandemic and because of because of it, um, I, I wanted to look for a remote job where I don't have to commute every day to work. I found Athena and like me, there are plenty of other professionals from the Philippines coming from different careers who are looking for uh, a new secure uh, and a permanent uh, work from home job. And, and we found Athena. And through Athena, we've had extensive training that focuses on several uh, key aspects of what it is to be an executive assistant, such as inbox management, calendar management, and doing research on a wide variety of subjects. And what I love uh, about Athena is aside from this training, we have continuous learning courses. And I guess the best thing of all is we have excellent community support. Um, there's plenty of mentoring between EAs and you can always turn to fellow EAs and uh, your manager 
if you're stuck in a difficult task or if this is something that um, you don't know <laughs> what to do about. It kind of sounds funny to say, but it's also one of my favorite things about Athena is knowing that you've got that sort of resources and backstop and all of those people to kind of help. Because I sometimes ask you to do stuff that you have never done before and even I have never done before, whether that's, you know, learning a new tool. Like I, I remember when we first started working together, uh, I was like, I don't know how to use Zapier, but I know that I need it. And I know that we need a bunch of automations. <laughs> so do you mind if you could go get like learn that tool and get caught up and and start implementing some of those and you sort of turn to the you know the, the resources in athena and learn a new skill and started applying it in our uh in our business which was amazing to see and a huge huge help i know you've done that a lot and we've even taken some of the i don't know i'm gonna call it a playbook i guess like taking take systems from other athena clients and eas that you know so do you want to do you want to talk through some of those examples we have plenty of playbooks for travel management and plenty of courses for booking flights, pre-drafting emails, how to manage calendars. And of course, you can always do uh, what we call shadow sessions with other EAs who've uh, mastered tools and processes with their clients. So when you're hiring uh, an Athena EA, you're not just hiring one uh, resourceful EA, but you're tapping into a community of, of hundreds of EAs with plenty of experiences with different tools, processes, and in uh, different industries. Yeah, it's, it's given me a lot of confidence to like delegate things that I don't know for sure that you can already do or things that I don't even know exactly, you know, if it's if it's delegatable. It, it makes me more confident to just kind of be like, well, let's give this a shot and see, see if it works. And um, if anybody at Athena has figured it out or done it before, I, I think there's like almost a thousand Athena EAs and, and clients now. So it is a big community and kind of a robust set of playbooks that uh, you can tap into and pull from and one that's growing all the time. Yeah. So if you're wondering why I never say no when you're asking me to do something new, uh, it's because I know if uh, if I can't figure it out, there's always help nearby. For those of you interested in learning more or the potential of meeting and working with your own Ivan, please check out athenago.com, A-T-H-E-N-A-G-O.com. It's a beautiful product. It's a great set of people. I encourage you to just go learn more, check it out, uh, and see if it's for you. See if you should dive into building the corporation of you. And if you're ready to sort of take this next leap into delegation, I found it to be an amazing forcing function for getting better at all of this to just sort of take the leap and make the investment. And I got better at it as I went. So I think if you're if you're 60% ready, then maybe ready enough to, to go learn more and take the leap. Thanks for listening. I think almost six months, it was, it was like May last time we talked, right? Four, four or five months. I have no idea. It's been a while. It's been, yeah. it's, it's been a minute. I'm excited to hear everything that's been going on. And I think we, we caught up like offline a little after that too. So I'll probably like merge all those things together, but I'm excited to hear how it all goes. You, you prepped me with a ton of stuff of everything that's been going on and I can't wait to hear about it. What's, what's, what's the right place to start? You think? Oh man, everything like startups are crazy. So, <laughs> you know, everybody knows that already, but they are. Yeah. Start, um, startups are hard. It's, you know, they're hard, they're crazy, they're fun. It's always encouraging that I have a lot of friends that are going through the same thing. So like, you know, I talked to another friend today, you know, who's at his startup. That's not anything what they expected it to be, but it's also doing really well. It's like, we're all shifting left and right to stay in business and to keep raising money and 
keeping our employees happy and also trying to actually get product market fit. Yeah, maybe that's a good place to start. We don't have product market fit. I know that. But we have learned a ton. We've made money. We have real customers. We fired our first customer, which is a big, meaningful moment because it meant that we are trying to focus. Yeah, so maybe focus is probably the... That's that's the big loop that we're on. It started, the company started, if anybody listened to the old episodes, you already know this, but we started with this idea for a labor market face, mar- marketplace for private security. That's physical security and risk management here in the States, in the United States, domestic security like executive protection, risk assessments, IRS 132 assessments, really anything that a corporate security buyer is going to purchase and trying to staff that gig style like Uber, Airbnb. We learned that those that those folks wanted to be able to spend credit cards, anything under hundred thousand dollars. You know, they have to go through a large procurement process. Anything over that, some companies that numbers are different. And the first six months, we built software, and that software was really expensive. I had never hired a technical person before. You know, he did everything he said he would do. I also had no idea what we were doing, and you know, we bought a, we built a lot of software from scratch. Come January timeframe, we weren't hitting metrics I needed to hit. We weren't releasing the speed I needed to hit. And that meant that I had to let our tech guy go and shift focus toward services where we were actually doing consulting, kind of like the the art of the start book. I forgot the quote, but I think it's I think it was like, look, if you gotta be a consultant to stay in business, you can be a consultant and you know, keep building your project. And so we did that. We hit 110, 110K, maybe a little more than that now in revenue. You know, we served private, you know, wealthy families who needed security assessments. We've helped staff some things, some really cool things. We got to work with some really cool people, but, you know, under NDAs and so on. That's one of the funny things about security. Almost everything is under NDAs, especially famous people. We've, you know, we've had a lot of misses where we tried to hire people, like people called us and asked us to to match a a gig or a role with a professional. We had the professionals, but there was always a lot of times it became a lot more complicated, which we learned. And honestly, it creates a bigger value prop for a platform, but it also, it also meant that we spent a lot of time doing things that didn't work and it was for services. So it wasn't doing things that didn't work in, in the startup platform side. It was on the, it's almost like instead of doing customer discovery calls, we were doing full on customer discovery failures (laughs) where we were trying to, trying to solve their problem. And then, you know, finding out, and maybe I can talk a little bit about some of the things we learned about how, how the actual transactions happen, how procurement happens and some of that, you know, creates a bigger value prop. It also means that we have a tougher problem to solve. Yeah. I'd love to hear about some of those complexities when we, we when we come back there. I know you're in the middle of the the summary, but those, those surprise complications are always good. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into the details because it's really interesting, but the, but the focus of the company, you know, we realized Kurt and I, uh, a few weeks ago, we were like, man, this has been cool. We've sent invoices and every invoice, you know, invoice comes back for 20 grand or something. It's like, man, that, that's sweet. Like, this is so cool. We're like, we're like making money or whatever. But part of that's because we've, we've never done it before. And so like, you know, go talk to a third time founder. They'd be like, cool, you're 20 grand. Who cares, man? You know, you're, you're doing venture. Like you're, you're doing startups. Like what you need to do is get, is, you know, figure out how many customers you can sign up every month or whatever. And so we've realized that we've refocused on getting the, on the, the platform out. And, and for a while I had really been afraid at, for that moment because I was like, man, 
we spent so much money and time trying to get a platform out the first time and it was wrong. The audience didn't like it. It didn't really work. But then enough enough of my peers were like, just build it yourself. And so I learned how to build it myself and, you know, using no code, right? Like literally watching YouTube videos and because everything we're doing is really simple. It's like a job board with some like protected content that we're trying to use to help people get motivated to give us more personal information so we can actually vet them and then connect them to jobs and put their phone number in so we can text them and tell them, Hey, this job is for you. It's in your location, you know, that kind of thing. And we can do, I can do all of that proto, you know, MVP style and it looks pretty, but we've been, I've been using Webflow, Zapier, Airtable, JetBoost, like, like the whole, you know, hustle stack. And, and it's exciting to have that. So I, I, I won't put a timeline on this cause I've been wrong by leaps and bounds for every timeline, but I expect to have that live soon and actually working And our focus at the company has shifted back to getting people signed up into a labor marketplace or at least into a labor job board with the ability to ask for introductions, which creates kind of a, us back in the, in the middleman seat and, and, you know, drive, just drive user growth, see how many people we can sign up. And we, and, and there's, there's competitors that are in each of these little niches that have, you know, a lot of people using those sites. And we think, actually, I think already the version I've, I've, built that we haven't launched yet does what some of those other sites do better and our model will make it less expensive for the user. It'll be free for the labor side. So I think we'll, we'll get that going. So, I mean, I guess talk about that decision, like what drove that kind of swing back from the the services focus to shit, we gotta, we gotta do this platform, right? Like uh, that's something I see people kind of oscillate on a lot. What was, what was your situation for that? It's it's a couple of different points. The first, it was very clear that the services is really, it takes up all your time, like all of your time, if not more time than you have. And you're hustling just to make that cash. I mean, I think we all know that, right? Consulting literally is a, is a mechanism of time. Like how much time do you have? That's how much you can get paid. I mean, we build for some things we literally build on time. Instead of billing the project, we build 450 bucks an hour, like straight up consulting. And that just, and you know, other parts, we built it more like a marketplace brokerage transaction where we took percentage off the top, but we build the whole thing and we have one customer that's, that's recurring every quarter. So that's kind of cool, but it was all these little experiments, but each one of them just took so much time. It was clear that we were learning a lot from each one, but if we wanted to be, if we wanted to grow, it wasn't going to work that way, or it was going to take 20 years, right? Like building a consulting firm. The second piece to that is, you know, we want to raise money and grow and we can't hit startup metrics doing consulting, you know, and startup metrics are, you know, some are vanity, but a lot of them are just are true. It's like, look, are you focused on the right things? And I don't know that I looked at, I thought about it that way before, but I am thinking about that now. And then I would add one last piece, which is my piece of advice to myself, if I could go back would be don't start this until you have a bootstrapped MVP. That's, that's focused on what you're pitching on the actual, the actual pitch, this labor marketplace, still skateboard, the whole skateboard scooter thing. Like what's the skateboard, get to the first skateboard before you go full-time 
do it on your own, do it on the weekends, whatever, because like the massive, and I learned that through the massive amount of capital resource constraints. Like I have those right now. We're always about four weeks from going out of business, just about. And that forced me to teach myself how to do it. And it forced me, us to get more focused and it forced, it forced all those things. And it turns out I actually could have done that while I was still working somewhere because I would have been, okay, well, I only get four hours a day. I can work on this. Like, okay, well I can, in four hours a day, I can get it to the skateboard, but it's just going to take me six months. And then I'm at the skateboard. If I brought in the same amount of money I've raised so far, we'd be a different company, completely different. So is it, is it fair to say, or rephrase that in the way that like, when you, when you relax the resource constraint too soon, it like, it enabled, it enabled like a, a, a wider focus than would have actually been like max productivity too, too soon. Like let you run too many experiments yeah, I think that's too right. soon. Okay. Yeah. Or it, or it allows you to just not do be as tight on the experiments themselves. Right. So like maybe we, we flip flop between different customer segments too often for a period of time, or we, you know, it, it just, it just, it's almost like, it's like we have conviction that there's this problem. We hear all these people telling us there's this problem, but if you're spending four hours a night or whatever, building out this little thing, you can, you can take that and be like, now we have conviction and we have a starting point. Let's put those two things together take that same cash and it, and it's not like, it's not like it's a, it's, it's a cheat code. It's just, it would have made who I hired very specific day one, day one. I would have known what I actually needed to hire as opposed to like hiring. Well, I need somebody can't build this thing on my own. There's not enough time of the day. Well, I need a tech person. So I'll just get a, like a tech person that has, is, you know, has, has experience building other startups. So I'll, I'll just get that person. Well, maybe I actually wanted a tech person who had experience building like who may have, you know, built an AI thing once, but his side project, he built on a bunch of no code. I'd be like, Oh, that guy's perfect. Right. Because now I know that he can help us keep MVP in this thing on the no codes that we've already done. But when it comes down to, to swapping this to actual architecture, he's going to be able to build that. So, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I opened up the resources too soon and then had to tighten them down. And then it's been a long period of really tight resources. Always. I don't know. I, Anybody who's raising money right now, raise enough that you, like everybody already said it. I heard it. My advisors say, raise 18 months, raise a year, raise 18 months. I wouldn't ever raise less than that again. I wouldn't start. I wouldn't go full time until I could raise the cash to be in business with whatever team I think is actually needed to hit a goal for like 18 months. Because you, I mean, for for a long time raised sort of more little chunks at a time. You were kind of like always fundraising, giving yourself like two to, I don't know what the max was at any point, like six months maybe of, of runway. Yeah, probably, probably the long, probably the most runway we ever bought at once was, you know, equity for, for cash was six months. And six months is a pretty good amount of time, but it it's actually not six months. It's only like three and a half because the next two and a half, you're just trying to get, you're just raising the next month or the two months after. Then when yeah, you have you employees have... like that, yeah, I mean, they care. They want to know that you're raising that money. <laughs> they, they're going to still have health insurance or whatever, you know, in two months. So I went, I went lukewarm. I guess that's what it'd be. I didn't bootstrap, but I didn't raise enough to go full on. So it was lukewarm, which is a big mistake. And now, you know, we're paying for it. Good news is we just got our first check from a, you know, a bona fide venture capital firm. And, and I think that really comes down to the fact that we've been able to 
to get through all of this, learn a ton. We can get into those details we mentioned and then go, okay, well now we're actually building procurement software for corporation corporations so that they can get gig gig works out like, like gig and labor out and the labor side, literally it's an integrity thing. It's how can we just make sure these people are vetted pretty basically vetted in their all in one place so that when you go to find them, you can just send out a message and, and they'll find you. Yeah. Was the fundraising process working with a fund? Like how different was that from sort of the angel money that you had raised previously? Yeah, it was the first due diligence for sure. That was a huge difference. And I think probably that was part of the process that made me feel I should have done that a long time ago. (laughs) You know, I should have been ready to raise 5 million bucks because my package is all perfect and ready to go right in the beginning. Even if it, you know, took a week to get it all ready. And then, you know, once every two weeks, I was like, okay, well, I got to update these 10 things with all the stuff so that it's always kind of ready. It's almost like a, that, you know, that's like having a boss. My boss is my due diligence package that like I need to be answering to that and making sure that it looks right. You know, how many makes you look at the financials better? Like we have an awesome finance or accounting firm, Ativa Partners out of San Francisco. We work with just startups, venture back companies. They have, I mean, they're awesome. I've worked with them at other companies before and like, you know, they do a really great job for us, but that doesn't mean that I spend the time each, each month to like really figure out what I where I'm wasting money or like what I have to do to stay in business or what my tax liability be at the end of the year. Like those are all things that even the youngest startup should still think about. Yeah. Were those, I guess, what did the fund, what were the fund's expectations of you from a collateral? I mean, you you talked about like the package. Is that, is that sort of accounting statements? Is that just like a deck and memo that's constantly updated? Is it a dashboard that you make available to them? Like what, what did that look like? Yeah, this is just documents. And then I think I wrote, I I definitely shared some memos that I wrote about different things, but really what it was, was like, like, this is the actual financials across the board. This is what our projections are like realistic, real projections versus like just an exponential clip art, exponential graph. At this phase and yeah. yeah, And how much I'd raise, like I had to have the conversation too, of like, like, look, this is how far we get with this and what we're doing and how much, you know, like what we have to do in order to make this work the next time and like how, where we need to be by March to raise a series seed round. And like, you know, it's all stuff I talk about and think about, but when you have to hand it in, like hand it into the teacher, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure it's right. Check your work. You have all these other people helping you making sure that it works. And it always feels different to write it down than to, you know, tell yourself in your head when you're, you know, on a run or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You're like, write it in, Write it down in a document that other people will read as opposed to like on your whiteboard or something. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say it was one of the things that made me go, man, I don't need this office right now, you know? And so like I canceled my office, saved myself a bit of cash and, you know, moved into this beautiful porch that I'm sitting on now. And, you know, I'm I'm doing a hack where we're going to put like a piece of plywood behind me that has like those little soft little octagons to make it look like I'm in an office and you know, save myself. It bought me two things. It bought me time because I walk to and from work. So it's a half hour each way. So it bought me an hour a day, even if, and maybe I'll go for a walk, but it'll just be chilling and me thinking as opposed to me having to walk. And then it, it bought me 900 bucks a month, you know, and it's not like I'm, in, I'm not employing anybody in Rochester anytime soon. So I don't need an office that fits two people. 
So here I am. Cool. And it is, for the record, a beautiful porch. It's, it's very Thank nice. You. I appreciate it. A little that. more family time, probably. I'm sure they're excited to have you back home. Yeah, the kids, you know, the kids get home from school and and I can take 15 minutes and just walk downstairs, help them get snack, smile, as and, and that's cool. And they know that they're not supposed to come running in here and I stay focused. I play a lot of music. It keeps me in flow mode when I'm listening to music. And obviously when I'm on a call, I, I know I pace around my office is big enough to pace back and forth. It's actually like three offices next to each other. So it's skinny and long because it's the whole back of my house. Go do some so good pacing. Pretty yeah. Cool. yeah. Got a pace. Got a yeah. pace spot. <laughs> let's, let's go back to the service transition. So I know I was recapping from, from last time and we talked a little bit about like, I think our last episode was a lot about sort of the the focus on providing services, finding repeatable transactions, and enabling them with with tech. So I think that's actually a really interesting sort of place to dig in about like the kind of jobs that you landed here. Because you got, I mean, 110K is a lot of revenue. And like not far off, I think your goal was 200 or something in 2022. And we're, you know, we still have plenty of clock left from May. So I'm curious sort of where, like, did you find those were just not repeatable? Were they super different from each other? Were they like, you know, how, how was that different maybe from what you expected going in? Yeah. So we had no go to market plan for that. Like I, I, we didn't, I didn't plan an advertising budget. We, you know, it was word of mouth and cold outreach. Well, not cold outreach, network outreach, the whole, like, who do your advisors know? Yeah. And you got a lot of relationships already and, you know, you were, these are customers you were talking to about the platform already. It's just. Right. Exactly. It was a bunch of customer discovery people pretty much that I, I called back or they called me and was like, Hey, I do need that thing. I also had a lot of, a lot of success with gifting wine. Somebody who introduced me to somebody, I'd send them a bottle of wine and then all of a sudden they'd call me back. Hey, how'd that go? Here's this other person. And then that has like, that's been a really inexpensive marketing tool. Uh, yeah. I don't know what the rules are on that. If I'm, uh, uh, it's my company. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think you're allowed to send wine to people. If it uh, works and they're like, over 21, the I think you're, you're not allowed to do anything like that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you, what you sent a gift that was worth more than $2 and 50 cents. I think that's like the only way some of these things function. I, I feel like there's sales, there's like SDRs out there who are like, I have been given a budget. If you get literally get on a 10 minute call with me, I will send you an iPad. Here's like swag box. Here's yeah. like, please just make it look like I'm doing my job as an SDR and that you are a warm lead. I will, I will pay you handsomely for your time. I need one positive quote, quote that says you will maybe schedule a follow-up call Yeah, <laughs> and then I'll give you iPhone. It's the end of the quarter. What, what do you need? What do you need? <laughs> the end of the quarter emails are the best. <laughs> Absolute best. Hi, I really want to serve you, but I need to make money right now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the question? It was about the services, like the, the variety of it. What, what was it about them that made them sort of less repeatable or scalable or non like just, yeah, I think like, yeah, so we just got into doing the work instead of doing the connecting. So the labor side is very much still something where it's just matching once we get it right. You need you need something, we find you that thing. For we still were always matching like vendors to clients and so on. We worked on like a 
financial fraud case. We worked on security build out in a home. We worked on like a bug out thing for people, you know, who, who want to be ready in case of Armageddon. Like we helped staff some events, help staff some private security, like full-time W2s. And across all of that stuff, it's like our, because of how we went to market with it, which is kind of this word of mouth, who, you know, thing. I didn't find out until very recently that I shouldn't have put myself in the, I'm the consultant seat. I should have said, Oh, I'm so glad you reached out to us. We know exactly who you should talk to because it turns out I could have charged the exact same amount that I ended up charging, except I wouldn't have had to put in 23 hours on a single project or whatever. I could have just been like, Oh, and for doing that, we're going to charge you just so you know, we're going to add 10% blah, 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 blah. This is how our business works. We're glad that we can find you a great vendor. Let us know if it doesn't work, we'll find you a new vendor. And could have done the same thing in a marketplace would do just with a little bit of white glove help. And maybe we check in with some customer success. And on the other side, I could have gone to those vendors and be like, Hey, we're going to charge you 10% as well. Just so you know, we're charging both sides, but we're charging you 10% because, you know, we like you, but we like five other companies too. And we want to drive business to you. And we probably could have made 20%. And I think if, if you look across our profit margins, we made about 20% when we added consulting hours plus the, the referral fees we charged. And so like, maybe we just did it wrong. And, and at this point, like we spent, I spent so much time doing that. It just kind of came full circle where wouldn't it be easier if really we were either a catalog for vendors for people or a catalog of labor that can be used and labor is the one we want to go after. That's, that was our main goal. It's, it's still a huge, I mean, it's a massive, massive challenge, but I think I mentioned earlier, I'll tell you about some details. The details are even the best companies, they want to pay a higher rate than they've paid in the past, but not a rate high enough to make somebody move, relocate, not, you know, like, or maybe a gig just isn't paying quite enough like there's a big like pay expectation misalignment because every like in in our side wherever everybody we talk to is quality even even the i guess you could say even the simpler jobs we have the quality version of the simpler job like they have already kind of figured out ways to negotiate so right now and 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 like figure out how to get paid a little bit more and and the vendors have figured out how to like maybe staff something band-aid for a little while. And that's like almost good enough that we've had a lot of misfires where we connect people that literally are, are exactly what we think is right. This person's vetted, perfect for it. They interview well. This person says we'll pay for it. But then when it really gets down to brass tacks, it's like, well, we said we pay 50 bucks an hour, but I, we're only going to pay like 40 bucks an hour at first. And and then the other person's like, well, we I said I would come out there, but actually I can only come out there for 30 days at a time because I don't want to relocate for this job. And the fact that we're so early in the aggregation, I mean, we don't have labor everywhere is a means that a lot of these transactions just don't happen. Like the amount of times that I had to text somebody back and be like, Hey, thanks so much, but it looks like it's not going to (laughs) work. You know, we'll tell you about the next job. And that sucks. Super sucks. After, you know, you invested in both of those, you know, acquiring both of the sides of that market and doing all the legwork in the middle and for free generally for free or yeah for, for free and so that's now <laughs> yeah that's now a loss and as a young marketplace you know 
we kind of take for granted that like we we fear the marketplace. It, the marketplace has leverage over individual, you know, a mature marketplace has leverage over individual actors. Like if you totally suck as an Uber driver or, you know, crash your car or drop somebody off the wrong way or whatever, like your career as an Uber driver is over and that is punitive. But like when you are a brand new marketplace, <laughs> you, you, can, you can't really threaten somebody with like, you'll never get work from us again. And they're like, this is the first job I've ever done with you. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I haven't um, even done it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, right. Yeah. And it won't work. So yeah, it's a lot of community and relationships and so in the vision at first, because yeah, people aren't sort of willing to give you a little goodwill, probably on both sides. You know, it's hard to even start that flywheel. Yeah, maybe the term goodwill is really interesting there. I think I found that the goodwill has been there all the way until the end. And then right at the end is when it usually is like, oh, you know what? I can't just make this decision on goodwill. I have to get paid more. I, I should have said that. Or I have to, you know, that one thing I said was optional, that credentials, like, no, I can't even, I'm not going to staff the guy until he has that. And so, no, that doesn't fit. Or, you know, there's these, these different things. It does remind me though, a bit of a tangent. I spent some time on the phone with one of the guys that built out the, like, I think the West region of the company Compass, which is, you know, the largest real estate brokerage in the world now. And he was an executive there. And he talked to me about how they went to market in specific regions and they would find like five or 10 influencers that would be like the region, like plank owners. Like these are the guys who are, and and women who are like starting launching that that space and they'd have to get enough people to launch it and then they would launch it and then people would copy them and i've looked at that as well it's like if we get to the point where we can get the community going we get enough signups i think that when we put a marketing budget on it we will be focused on specific regions where we the employment law is in our favor for gig-based security work and where the population and market is in our favor. And honestly, the security risks are high. So like Illinois just passed a law that allows a lot, like, you know, like I think, I think I read like 50% of their jails are going to be emptied out because a lot of things that, that were detainable crimes aren't anymore. And so that scares a lot of people. And like, I think I read, oh man, like second degree murder was one of the ones like second degree, like second degree murder is no longer detainable in Illinois. If, if, if I'm wrong there, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, Chicago. I don't know, but I think that's true. And if that's true, that would be a great example of a market where if we, if we use marketing dollars at the right time, we may find that a whole lot of clients show up and are like, Hey, can I, can I get some security? I, I need, I'm, we're going to do this thing or we're going to have this event or, or maybe I'm going through a divorce and I'm like worried my, spouse is going to kill me. And, you know, now that person won't get in trouble. So I want security. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, but I think the regional influencer based, like, Hey, we find a couple of the guys who everybody knows in the region. We kind of help them kick off their independent business through us and then drive clients to them would lead to some growth in a region. And then if we were regional, we might find that the marketplace we we can start to push we push back a little and like not be punitive per se but but say look you know if if you're if you cancel last day and you've known for 72 hours you're 
you know, you're on the, you just got, you get penalized for three weeks or something. Yeah. You're on the, on the shit list. I, I Googled that real quick. When a new Illinois law takes effect next year, it will do away with the cash bail system in the state, meaning suspects charged with felonies, including second degree murder, aggravated battery, and arson will be released without bail. Oh, okay. So that's not as bad as I was thinking. It's not referring to people who are convicted. This is talking about bail during the trial process, right? I'm not going to read the whole article right now, so I don't know that you were wrong. All I know is that the first paragraph says what I just said. There may also be like some like early releases or whatever, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not going to get into politics, but that makes a lot no. more sense than what I, what I had heard. Somebody told me something. I was like, really? That sounds crazy. <laughs> we're going to let all the criminals better in? repeat that on a oh, podcast no. without fact checking it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried. Anybody can go check all my social media. There's 0.0000 politics on there. Cause yeah, I'm focused on this. Not that. Uh, no, this is very dramatic news. The headline is the end of days. So the end of days. About, wow, that is dramatic. That. Yeah. yeah, the no, country's think, over. Everybody, hire your private security company. Call Zach. This is Contera. literally Armageddon. Okay, what's funny is that like that's an actual problem in the private security space is, is fear mongering. Like there's like the top the top private security company, Gavin De Becker in New York City, doing executive protection. They just sold. I forgot when what the announcement said. I think I don't Crisis Twenty Four. One of the big one of the huge companies bought them. And I'm not going to, not going to say good, bad or ugly, whatever. But the fact is, you know, the, the founder, Gavin DeBecker, you know, writes books about how dangerous the world is for your kids. You know, you go read one of those books and by the end of it, you're like, oh no, they, they can't even go to school without a security guard. They're going to, we're going to get kidnapped on the way to school. And that's just not, that's never anything that we want to be a part of, which is a good B2B is a lot cleaner in that regard. You're not trying to scare corporate security manager. Corporate security manager already knows what their risks are. I mean, you can do a risk assessment and have a professional come in and give you, hey, here's where your risk surfaces are. This one's a little scarier than that one. Tell me what you want to do. We just want to connect the the people who solve the problems you have. Yeah, you never want to be incentivized to like create fear unnecessarily in innocent people. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be in a fear industry, shit. honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that marketplace, the regional or or city focused marketplace, that's a classic, right? Like how small can you start, build liquidity, build leverage, build a community, get some transactions done and, and scale up from there. And hope I, I would hope maybe, you know, maybe there's more details there, but that, that would, you know, it sounds like there's plenty of other variables, but if everybody's local, you know, maybe you close a few more connections. I think it's funny you said that and it reminded me why I didn't do it before. And this is a, another big mistake in how I did fundraising. It's it's too bad capital raising has to be such a core piece of the early startup if you don't bootstrap because it can really screw you up. But one of the reasons that we didn't go regional first is because we wanted to have more opportunities to charge people money because that would help our runway. And so that's why it's, it's a little lukewarm to be like, well, we want to we're going to be national, solve everybody's problems so that when the right customer comes in the door, we can actually charge them money. And we did. But if we had gone regional, the risk would be maybe that client that calls us is in a different state and or goes to the websites in a different state and goes, oh, this is only in Chicago. So I'm not, not going to call Zach. So we left our options too much open. And that meant we 
we probably with the amount of effort we've put into some of the stuff, if we just picked a city, we probably would be like 10 times further. Yeah. You'd be a little more maybe locked into a model. You will maybe not have learned as much or have the connections to some of the corporate stuff, which is, which is interesting. But like, I think we made the opposite. I don't know if it was a mistake, but we, we did the opposite playbook it was our sort of 2.0. We went, you know, really one city at a time and try to go really small and focused and build liquidity. And I, I think maybe erred on the side of like too few cities and too slow of growth to try to like sure. so bring that along. So this, you know, whatever sword. startups yeah. are hard. Yeah. <laughs> startups are hard. <laughs> they really um, are, man. Yeah. You, corporate side, the, you know, motivation has been a, a interesting roller coaster through all this as well, because when the direction is less obvious, there are days where like kind of, you have a couple experiments going, you know, you know, Kurt's doing customer discovery with these types of customers. I'm like flying between, different states to, to talk, you know, to build relationships with, with enterprise customers that, that I know take all this extra time. And so you don't get that affirmation and sometimes you don't get any feedback at all or any useful feedback. The whole idea that you can never have a bad meeting, like welcome to sales. Like you'll never have a bad meeting if you know how to set a good meeting and keep a good tone. So like sometimes there's just no feedback, which is hard. Yeah. Let's, I think the, I think when we talked offline, maybe at, at Capital Camp last, the, there was a, a really exciting sort of pipeline around enterprise, like big, big corporate enterprise stuff. Where does that sort of fit into, like, is that part of the sort of services piece? Is that in parallel? Like, where does that fit into you, the big picture? So it's, it's in parallel. So I've kept that going. It's actually grown. Some of those relationships are more mature. Some are about the same, but we've added a few more logos. I try to put a certain amount of hours every day on the, well, not some days it's only like an hour, but I, I try to hit, hit those relationships every single day on my like little CRM to make sure that I'm moving them forward, adding them. Some of the companies that I went for directly were really, really hard to work my way up and I've done that. So that's, that's an exciting piece, but I just know that it doesn't, it like, it doesn't matter. It, like it, it on the day to day, it matters if I close one, it, a ton. It would it would completely change how we can go to market if we can get any of the logos that I've put in real time on and know the executives of now and have been introduced to C suites and some of these are like hundred billion dollar companies. If if we close the deal, provide them a ton of value, and can shift a good portion of the work onto a platform or software based like a shift-based model or gig-based model, which I think is really possible, you know, it, it would, it would certainly speed us up and at least I think give us the resources to hire our, our seed team, which I have about eight people scoped out and like what we would be doing and our goals, what that would be for 18 months, how much money we'd have to raise and so on. If we, if we got that through either raising or just through a top contract, you know, that would, that would shift the game. But I kind of look at them like they're unicorns. They're hard to catch. Yeah. Is, is that enough? One of those to kind of flip the switch from like to default alive, you'd be like a cash flow positive company with like, if any of those sort of come through. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty much all big enough other than one is almost such a pure marketplace opportunity that if we got it, it might just be that we've got like, we actually have to kind of speed up, maybe go out to investors and be like, look, I need this right now because this, this customer wants to use us like 10 times a day 
and we need to be ready for it. But any of the other ones would be big enough of contracts that a lot of it would be services, but a lot of it is services where let's, for example, if you have an executive protection detail for a few top executives, maybe top executives in America and, you know, home base, wherever they're based is going to have a, a couple W2s that kind of are their main guards. And then there's a bunch of other stuff involved. Every time they travel, they need a new vendor, a new driver, a new whatever, because of, of licensing in all those different places. And so these people travel all the time. And so now we've got a customer that one, we're getting paid, let's say a couple million bucks a year to run their whole program. And we're also using our own software to staff out everything that happens. that's temporary. So we would, we would be cash flow positive for that period of time and probably be able to, to prove out like eat our own dog food to the point where we could then raise the cash to be like, okay, now we're going to take this and we're going to go sell it to 40 other companies like this one. Yeah. And, and at the same time, building up your supply side, especially if you've got, you know, a variety of jobs that come in there. I remember, I think the biggest lesson from our second episode, which still kind of stuck with me as, as really interesting is that, you know, the, on the supply, the supply side, the, the workers, the vendors don't, don't want to join an empty marketplace. They don't, tr- they don't, sign up in the absence of like an immediate, unless there's an immediate job to do that they are like signing up in order to, in order to fulfill. So I think that's, I mean, that's why some of these contracts are so valuable, but as you, as you sort of look at, I think earlier on, you said like a, a focus for the next couple of months is going to be to sort of rebuild that community and use the, the new website that you have built to sort of start a staff or start bringing those people on and filling that again is, are you going to have a different approach? Do you feel like these services are giving you enough to, to be like the bait on that hook? Like, has anything changed there? Yeah. So a couple things changed. One is we've just been in business for a year, which really has had a lot of impact on the folks that I talk to. Their trust of me has gone up a lot because I've been around and they talk to their friends or whatever a bunch of people call me, Hey, help me. I would love to go get an executive protection. What do I got to do? You know, that kind of thing. So that's helpful. The second is I've gotten better and better at pitching myself to these vendors and some of the larger companies as well. And then when they trust me, they'll send me people that be like, Hey, here's a bunch of guys that could use this or want to use that. The next is I think with this, this new launch, we're going to not ask for as much information. That was a big like we were asking for so much information the first time that we could like almost staff you. We could, we could like almost literally be like, look, we've got everything we need. Thanks. We'll call you when yeah. the job's ready. Fill out your whole um, LinkedIn, you know, resume, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's all your government background as yeah. well and certs <laughs> and stuff. Like, oh, we're going to make you do a lot of work for no reason, <laughs> you know, and then maybe we'll call you. Or, yeah. <laughs> so that was wrong. Obviously I learned that. The... The, the other way to do it that we're looking at now is we've got this whole job board that is better than any of the other, has more jobs on it from more sources than, than the other job boards in the space. And then, and then what we're, we're doing is going to say, okay, cool. You, you could be John Doe at email.com or whatever. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll have it verified, but you know, maybe not at first. I don't know. It's not, it's currently it's not. So there you go. Everybody knows that secret. Y- you know, you'll sign up and it's like, okay, well now we have an email that we can send some things to, or they can opt out of the, 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 the job updates that we'll send once a week or whatever, but they have to use that to log in. So then we can track what the user, who the user is, what they're doing. And then we'll, 
and they can save jobs to their their favorites and all that kind of stuff, right? But then we'll say, okay, cool. But if you want to get discounts on, you know, all this cool guy stuff and tactical stuff and things that go along with it, because, you know, I've got a bunch of folks and friends in affiliate marketing. So I've been learning a little bit about that. We'll say you can get access to that, but you have to get vetted first. We need to know that you are, you know, whether or not you're law enforcement or former spec ops or you're civilian or like what, like what your thing is. And based on that, you're going to get access to all these different tiers of discounts and, and different things. And we'll do deals of the the week and, you know, the whole, the whole nine. And so I'm kind of hoping that that helps people get across the data entry and we're still not going to ask for too much because I'm, I'm realizing that when the real, when the connection happens, either they're already directly having to prove this stuff to the the hiring manager, or if they're asking me to make the intro, cause we want to have a little button for that, you know, we'll, we'll get on the call and we'll verify it all or we'll verify it all once, once they, once you're pass asked a, to in the context of a yeah, once we're asked yeah. to do it. And yeah. then, you know, if it gets to scale, we'll use something like higher view or whatever it's called to like do the first five questions or like, we'll do something that, Hey, once there's a match, then we'll ask you for more. And then we'll figure out if people churn off of that, you know, at what stage, but right. We, we were just way ahead of ourselves the first round. Now it's like just the skateboard. Here's a job board. Cool. Now it's a better job board than any other job board in this niche. Cool. Now we're going to give you discounts because we know you like these types of jobs. We know you like this kind of stuff. Sign up for it. And then we'll, I'd have to look at my roadmap. That was another thing that I did for the first time. I've done it before a little bit whiteboard, but I did like some actual, you know, customer story work and like following that. And so like we have, you know, a whole lot of features that we could add one at a time that make it more useful for, for this side of the market. And then eventually we can let vendors probably at first or for, I think the first thing for vendors is just letting them post jobs and then having a, having a approval process for that. So they can have a job, but you know, I or Kurt or somebody has to approve it so that it doesn't just go live. People aren't, you know, posting pictures of their cats on, on our job board. Yeah. What, or worse, um, an only fan situation. <laughs> Don't want that. You're going to sign up to vet all those, all those photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I wasn't super worried about the the you know the professionalism of the security contractor. I don't know, uh, I don't know, know a lot about niche. security, but other folks do, and they tell me like you really want to prevent people from being able to put things on your website. That's fair. I mean, we we had some of those. I mean, we were home services marketplace, and we had some some things that had to be removed. You know, well, that one right there. Let's slow that down. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a hammer. What do the discounts have to do? Like, how does that fit in? The, the like affiliate marketing so, discount thing feels like it's like a, a little bit of a branching path. Um, it's one example. It'll be an experiment. We'll see. But it's it's not to make money. So the only reason they're, they, they're affiliates is because that like a lot of these folks already have programs so that we can go in and talk to them and say, hey, we want to do this, but we want to give our people a discount. They're vetted. How's that sound? Because they already have programs, I don't have to go do one at a time sales. If it works, then maybe we'll go and actually build relationships with the folks. But what we're trying to do is just create an incentive that you give us more information. So like, and to come back to the job board. So you're, be, and, and some of that isn't because you're like, you might say, well, why do you want them to come back to the job board if they already have a job? And well, we want them to come back to the job board to know that we're alive. We want them to know that this 
website is actually getting updated every day and the and the deals are changing and things. And so it's just a way to drive people to us to say, look, you can see jobs. Once you're vetted, we're trying to give you benefits. So here's here's some discounts. You know, maybe we'll link you to training, like just whatever we can to have a reason to do the second level of sign up. Okay. Yeah, and maybe I, it, I guess it depends what I guess it depends what you're envisioning, like going on there. But you've talked before about sort of helping these security pros sort of level up in their you know, you can get this certification and now you can earn 25 bucks an hour or you can, you know, train on this equipment or go through this, you know, experience or gain this credential. Like those are all sort of interesting things that are like more on theme, but you probably have a much clearer picture of like what, you know, what is behind that wall. Well, and, and the industry, especially when you, when you step away and a little bit from the top tier, the industry is full of of, of folks who are, who are really interested in guns and in second amendment stuff and in, you know, a bunch of those little items. And we hope that they keep coming back and and want it. But then the other side is like, even, you know, Navy SEAL gets out of the Navy, wants to go do exec protection. He still has to get certified. So maybe you sign up and we say like, cool, get vetted and we'll connect you to the, to the CPR program that works in California and the, and the, you know, BCIS program that'll help you get your eight hour course online here. And like, you know, these are the table stakes and you can go do it somewhere else, but here's some, here's, here's a way that you can save five bucks doing it through, through getting vetted. Getting it all in one place. And yeah. Yeah. And like this stuff's pretty simple, but it's not simple if you don't know it. I guess, if you don't know where to find it. Yeah, you need somebody to sort of introduce you to the world and show you the one, two, three. Because it could just be a blog post, but I I, I, just, I don't know. Guys like to save a lot of money. People, like everybody in my entire SEAL team signed up for ProMotive when it existed. What was ProMotive? ProMotive, it's been bought by one of the other ones. It's like you get vetted into some type of professional and then you get discounts based on that. So if you're in construction, you would get like toolboxes. If you're... A, it's funny. The stuff we got was like black diamond skis. I don't know. It was hilarious stuff. It was all like outdoor gear. I was like, man, I'm really glad that this fits in. I think they just want cool guys to, to wear their brand. Yeah, right? They're creating brand cool ambassadors by giving us 5% off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guys fit, fit guys with great beards using my skis. I mean, that probably mm. works. Yeah. Hell, if I, if I was selling skis, I'd be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned the beginning under sort of the the focus piece, firing uh, firing a customer. I want to sort of revisit that that story and that decision and how that went. Yeah, so firing a customer is definitely you know it's a term that I've heard other people use, and I use it to like make it a bigger moment for me. It wasn't like a an, a full on event. We're just like, hey, we're just not going to provide that service anymore, right? Like you know, sorry, like let us know. We'll still try to help you. We can maybe point you in the right direction, but we're not going to do that. And what it came down to is just B to C, and we wanted to have more of a B to B focus. And part of that is because the B to B stuff we did, even though it was a lot of work, paid us a lot. The B to C stuff. You know, these, a lot of folks don't even, even super wealthy folks don't really have budgets for it. So you have to like sell and convince and, 
And honestly, even if they really want to buy, which is the case with almost, I mean, everybody we've talked to, we've definitely been early adopter style. These are folks who really want to buy stuff from us. They want to get consulting from us. It just would take a lot of time to figure out what they actually wanted to pay for and what they actually wanted to do. And not their fault. They had to like figure it out themselves. Like, well, I, yeah, I want that, but really I want this other thing. And well, maybe we'll do that. And the timing shifts and that's worth it. If you, if you can get a $50,000 deal, but for a $5,000 deal that you only get 10% of like, well, not we a good hour a different way. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so the, the, the firing of the customer was m- more of a big deal to be like, we don't do any customers like that anymore. We don't do that because, uh, and, and we won't do that sort of thing because we on a whiteboard can write down the value and it's just not worth it. We we're not learning enough from that. We don't like losing money. So we're going to stop doing that. We don't like losing money. And if we are going to lose money, we're going to learn from people who someday will pay us a lot of money. And the consumer just, I had another friend call me up recently with an idea that was selling into the same space. And I was just like, man, tell me how you're going to find those people. And once you have a list of a hundred, then maybe go consider it until then take that same idea and sell it to a business. Yeah. As a budget. And it's, you know, it's not to say it's, it's hard to say no to revenue when you're a startup and you don't have any in it, you know, it takes the math and the insight to say like, man, this, you know, this is, honestly how much effort went into closing this deal and very honestly how much profit came out of it and on the other hand i put you know 2x the hours into this but got 10x the profit out of the deal and you know we we can't afford to keep doing that honestly for the and for one of those customers so in this case to be like one of the things that i've realized is and this happened actually this happened across both the services back to software choice and the firing the customer choice what it came down to is i saw a better business to solve that problem. The better business to do some of the services we were doing at the point where we weren't learning versus the amount of time was to go start that business. Oh, I'm going to go start a security company. And then I thought, well, I wouldn't do that. No way. It's way too hard. It would take me 20 years. It's super fragmented. It's hard to differentiate all this sort of stuff. Oh, I'll just go buy a security company. I could buy a security company. Probably if I, if I went to it, I raised a search fund for security companies. I mean, there's definitely a thesis. Security is, I think it's going to explode over the next 10 years, 20 years. But I don't want to do that right now. That's not what I signed up for. It's not what I told my investors I'm doing. Like we're connecting, we're helping labor. Our goal is to help a million workers live better lives in the security industry by reducing complexity and cost. That meant back to software. We got to get back to the platform that connects people. And then for the customer firing, it was the same thing. It was like, look, if I, if I wanted to serve this type of customer, I would start an authority site on all this kind of stuff. And I would refer this customer to a bunch of really cool shit that solves these problems for them. And I would get affiliates on it. Yep. And that'd be a much lighter weight model. And and both of those are yeah, closer to bootstrap, not not what you raise money for, not the big marketplace right. vision. Yeah. I don't think you raise yep. money for either. I mean, again, if you're going to go buy something that already has a million in revenue or something, then maybe you have to raise money for that or take a loan. But, but like certainly the authority site, it's hard to see how that turns into a billion dollar business. Okay, so let's let's sort of wrap up with some of like the 
I don't know, maybe the more broad like lessons learned or patterns observed. So we, we talked a lot about sort of what you've maybe changed your mind on or how the tactics have, have changed. But what's some of the stuff that I think you, you wrote here, you might have others, but in one of your notes, you sent me a bias for action mixed with patience. What's the right cocktail there? Yeah. So I think the startup method that is talked about is, is to hurry up. Just you're always going as fast as you can for growth. And I think what I would tell people who don't have product market fit is don't hurry up. Whatever, whether you're bootstrapping or raising money, whatever you're doing has enough of a runway to be able to take it slow. But that doesn't mean you're not working hard all the time. It's you've got a full bias for action where you're taking as much action every day to get there, but it's going to take a long time. And you need to know that, believe that you're not going to find it. It's not going to like just pop up day one. And if it, if it was, you already have it like, like that, I don't know, that's the whole product market fit challenge. Right. And then you have a different business. It's like, okay, I have product market fit. Now it's how do we grow it? You know, et cetera. Like with Zarly, I I haven't studied the business well, but I, it seems to be that there's some level of product market fit with marketplaces that connect plumbers and so on. Like there's people want that plumbers want that. So instead it's a thousand other things you have to figure out on how to make sure that you can connect those people fast enough. Liquidity's there. There's, you know, qualities there. And like, you've got all these other things, but when you don't have a product market fit yet, you got to slow down. It's not a rush. You got to figure it out. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I think I was, I was just reading something that I think rhymes with this idea and I haven't heard, I hadn't heard it said this way before, but I think it's, I think it's a helpful way to think about it. It's just a little bit counterintuitive or maybe counter to what people think the startup world is like. So Clayton Christensen wrote it. And I think it was smart capital, wise capital is impatient for profits first. And then once there are profits, you're impatient for growth and, and you're like choosing where your emphasis is. So like, you know, I'm patient for growth in the very beginning and impatient for profits. And to, that is like, I think the, a not startup-y way, but to say, find product market fit, execute transactions that are net positive. And a lot of times I think in, in a startup or a SaaS company, like the business models are such that they're, they're not profitable at the company level, but they're either, you know, they're deals with good gross margin or they are sort of unit economic profitable or they're getting a bunch of eyeballs, but there's very few businesses that are truly like loss, 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 grow, 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 like Facebook become profitable in year 10. Like that's extremely rare. You know, Facebook, it's that way because it was ads. It's like, it was pretty obvious. Like you get enough eyeballs, then you can turn on revenue. And that there's network effects in there. So don't turn on, you know, don't scare away new, new users until you have the lock-in of the network effect. Yeah. In marketplaces, this is the place. Yeah. Marketplaces have some of that you know, it's a, it's an interesting mix of like, there is the network effect at scale. So you really need to keep growing. And so the the growth is important from that perspective, but also like, you gotta know that you can execute individual profitable deals in order to sort of get there. And that both sides are excited to keep coming back and you can acquire those customers profitably. And that's hard as shit. It's really hard. It's hard to even know, to be honest. And it is cool because the closest thing to that that I've had when you, it really just comes for me, it's unit economics. And that's why a bunch of the services turned out to be like, look, we're not going to do this. The unit economics is not there. The best ones are like a public company called us and needed 
like they were threatened by somebody and they they needed for a board meeting the 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 bad guy knew where the board was when the meeting was going to happen this is a pretty direct threat and so they're like look we need we need armed guards that's what they wanted some armed guards and they need a little bit of education on what was allowed and not allowed in that that lo- in that geolocation they also needed some education on like how it works like nobody's if there's a real threat like no vendor on the planet's going to send you one person like they won't do it they'll send you at least two because they have to be able to protect each other and like you know we're not hiring jason Bourne here these are just like you know these are folks that are like out in the open like you got to be able to do it right so there's a little education there took no time and i ended up paying like four middlemen or something by the time this is over but within three hours we had two armed pros at that boardroom and like that the unit economics were there we charged a lot i mean we charged a really good profit margin on that like, i don't know maybe it was more than 50 percent. and it took obviously less than three hours and it, you know and it, and and so on and the quality was there and we got good feedback from the boat from everybody involved and like i was like man this is it but then like how do i drive that deal flow right now when if the next person calls, I might not be able to fill that. That one worked, but like, I don't have like, I, I think that. And then every time that, that somebody takes a job, I'm really happy. So I think with this new refocus, if we can get the job board going and then have a reason that people give us more info, which maybe just having the job board will be enough and people will be like, cool, I'll, I'll vet. So you send me jobs that actually fit my filters. If we can get to the point where we then add the gig board, which is separate than the job board. And then when the gig board happened, it like notifies people in that location or something. And we start seeing that work where those folks are calling up the hiring manager and being like, Hey, I can do it. Like then we might have something. Man, the, the rate of learning in a startup is, is quite something, which is what this, what this series has all been about, man. It's so crazy to see how many things change and how much new information arises and just you know, T- Taylor Pearson who I've done an episode with always says like reality has a surprising amount of detail and even you know you've spent your career in this industry there's so many and every time you get you know closer and closer to a deal or a new market or a new customer like new surprises emerge new new I don't know complexities sort of arise you're like shit which is which is why you know the focus is so important like find a narrow thing, find your niche and keep getting better at it and know more of those details than anybody else. Yeah. And like, if there's one thing that I'm more bullish on than ever, it's, it's this, this industry, how messed up it is and how much some of these solutions would help. And I think, I don't know, I, I don't know if I would give myself an A plus or a C minus as far as like a founder over over the port, last 14 months. Like it's hard to understand that, like how to grade yourself in this period. But I'm hoping and I feel pretty confident that I've learned enough now and we've learned enough now that we can like just just grind out the pieces that we really think work, the value that we really think is right and other than if we close a multi-million dollar deal, not get distracted again. Yeah. Well, it's a huge pleasure to uh, be along for the journey with you. Do, do you want to, uh, you feel like you can, cause like, was it, what is your optimistic or sort of like ideal scenario for, you know, f- four to six months, maybe for, for our next conversation? Like, what do you hope to be reporting? I would really like to have a cadence 
going where we have a live usable product, a usable web app, because we're still on Webflow, that is getting feet, new features released on a schedule. That alone would make me really happy because that means that we have users that are doing something. The sales are the sales in air quotes is, is like, I'm going out and getting users. People are signing up and looking at jobs and we've created some level of tech movement that either me or a 1099 or somebody's is moving it forward one step at a time. I think that'll show the maturity that we need and hopefully have a, a, the user base to raise capital to, to hire a bigger team and go, or it will be learning enough to be like, well, we got to keep doing it this way for another six months. You know, we'll see. And I'll, I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for you for landing one of those big contracts for the, you know, that enterprise pipeline to come through. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I know those are unicorns, I'll te- but I'll tease uh, you on, I'll, tease me, I know tease me, Zach. Out, but I'll tease you on two of them. So two newer ones, one would bring us back to like the original dream of before the original pitch of the original company, which is some international stuff. If we get that, it would be epic, be a wonderful way to build a ton of credibility with a lot of folks. And it's really straightforward. It's like, we know exactly what the credentials are that need to be met and it's staffing. So that would be cool because we would use the platform to do it. And you couldn't, you couldn't get an interview without signing up and doing it the right way and going through our program. And then the other one, is interesting because it would pay really well. It's for a $50 billion company. It, it would be at their headquarters, but it'd be, it would be the, the mid to lower paid folks, which it's interesting because the deal would be big enough that it would be like fully worth it. And the profit margin would be there, which would be a great reason to test. Cause I want to test, but I haven't shifted to it. I want to test if, you know, the most churn in the industry happens at the bottom, like 300%. It's, you know, people are, are swapping jobs or finding a new job or leaving every four months. So like, that seems like a place that even the W2s are mostly gig workers. And so if we could figure out that, it'd be, it'd be really interesting because that's a tough problem. But, you know, I also, that would for me to do that without having cash, like have without having a real reason to do it would be like literally starting a staffing company for, for six months, which. Yeah. And that, those I are interesting because right that one, that last opportunity is interesting because that's kind of a built-in regional focus, you know, that, that'll, that gets you some liquidity. Exactly. It gets you some staff in, in one place. Liquidity, like, oh you man, can go after it'd be really fun to do it that other way. contracts there yeah. and sort of yeah, build that density. So that's cool. I'm still so grateful for your, your willingness to kind of, bring us along and be, you know, show up and transparent and honest. And, and I'm just glad you're, you know, tackling this problem. It's fun to get on here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. Anything else you want to, you want to give us or should we sign off and see you, see you in a few months and you could give us homework too. let let us know who should we be like texting proactive reference checking for you with some, some like chief security officers or anything. Should we like write a congressman? Like what's our, yeah, you know, I, I, if anybody knows any, 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 any decision-making security managers, corporate security leaders at any company in America, happy to talk to them. But honestly, right now, this is a product-focused grind, right? We need to grind out this piece of the, this base piece of software. We've already in our network, we have enough people that we can get it in front of that we should get the early signups and then figure out how we're going to do that and and grow it. So right now, it's just kind of the 
I, I play music every day and I try to get into flow because I'm an I'm a I'm a 2022 Webflow black belt. Yeah. <laughs> Webflow. You know, and hey, if it all if all goes to complete shit, I'll just start a YouTube channel where I teach people how to use Webflow. Oh, I'm 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 signed up. I don't know shit about how to use Webflow, but I need to learn. So you're an inspiration on Super that front easy. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is easy. I it's funny on the on the worst days you're like man I could just start a consulting company and do webflow for 3 months. It is <laughs> but, it does feel like one of those crazy arbitrages man there's so much value to be unlocked in some of those no code tools in like the, the businesses that are just sort of slightly tech tech laggards. Yeah and you and you and you can and you still go to like book a a vacation with a certain company or like buy something in there and you can't even use their website and you're like oh my goodness i should call these people and tell them i'll do it for like a grand <laughs> so much opportunity out there man so much yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much opportunity to, to no it's really not guys but no we need to stay focused your whole life doing focus. that focus 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 <laughs> all right man thanks so much for taking the time talk again soon cool see ya i really appreciate you hanging out with us today this is all about laughing and learning, building leverage, and compounding our faces off. What our brains aren't evolved to comprehend is how much leverage is possible in modern society. There's a revolution going on, man. Uh, go pay attention to it. Get a part of it. Get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. The call to adventure. This is the new form of leverage. Take a few quiet moments for yourself, breathe deep, and be well. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.